Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Dennis Simpson, my co-host, Mr. Randy Cantrell, the star of the show. For those of you who get confused, how could you? It's Hot Springs Village. And we have a, and I mean this when I say this, we have a very special guest today, Mr. Ernie Deaton, who has joined us. Those of you who have been around the village, and I I consider myself having been here about 20 years on and off, uh, have heard the name, but I'd never met and still haven't never chatted with Ernie. Ernie, how would you say, what would you say your title was here in the village? Uh, I was originally, when I first went there in 1985, I was engineering manager. And within two or three years, uh, that became engineering and construction manager. Uh, and then over the course of time, uh, I think it was VP of engineering and construction and uh, on and on. So uh, when I first went there, I was responsible for making sure that we uh, did all the surveying and did all of the platting and recording and and figuring out where the new streets and lots were going to go. And then we would turn it over to the construction division to go build it. So, and and I'm reading between the lines here, Randy, but it sounds like that Ernie would map out the things, turn them over to construction. And then Ricky Middleton, among other people would come back out, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the future police chief who knew and, and construct these, for example, we're sitting here on Lake DeSoto right now in hot Springs village. As I understand it, there's big stuff that runs under this lake. Is that correct? I mean, is that the kind of thing you worked on? Uh, What what type of big stuff? Like big drainage pipes, like electrical connections, like lots of stuff that you wouldn't think going under the lake. You know, I don't recall that. I wasn't, Lake DeSoto was built in the early 70s, and and I was still a small child at that point. I'll date myself. And uh, uh, so I don't. I don't know what they ran underneath that lake, uh, but, uh, but that's possible. Uh, certainly a large pipe that they would have there at the bottom of the dam so that they could uh, lower the lake when they needed to. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know what all would be uh, there. I know how we built it. When I first came to Hot Springs Village, we were in the process of building Lake Balboa. Oh, really? which was quite an endeavor. And, uh, so I got to jump headlong into the middle of that. Uh, um, they, we, and, and the interesting thing was we had probably, oh, 15 or 20 of those big scrapers, dirt moving, moving scrapers that were running in the lake bed of that lake, uh, moving dirt, clay material from upper part of the lake down to the dam so that they were building the dam. And at the same time, we had about 60 salespeople working in hot Springs village, doing two to three tours a day, every day. And so you would have a Cadillac or a Jeep Wagoneer driving through the middle of that, the, the lake bed of that lake in the middle of all those scrapers. And, and we were just hoping that nobody ran over a salesperson with a, with a couple from Iowa in the backseat and, you know, and, 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 uh, killed somebody. So it well, was, now, it was, 
quite an environment. One of the first times I came out here about 20 something years ago, I remember going across Lake Balboa and looking down and thinking, number one, this is a big lake, big lake, Mm -hmm. good sized lake. And then I remember driving across the, the beach and Ernie, I don't know if you know anything about this, but somebody put a big concrete wall down in the middle of that beach. <laughs> now, why would somebody put, I mean, cause you can still walk it today. It's like a little sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that kind of thing. I'm dying it's, to know some of these nerd details. It's just a sidewalk. <laughs> no. no, that is part of the dam. Uh, that, that concrete walkway, if you will, is actually part of the secondary spillway for Lake Balboa. The primary spillway is down at the very end of the beach. If you continue going, you know, around from the boat launch ramp and the marina, uh, and you will get to the spillway, well, that that concrete uh, sidewalk, if you will, or walkway, is a, is a secondary spillway so that if the water ever gets to that level above the 100-year flood, it goes over that spillway also, and it that way it hopefully doesn't wash out all the area where the beach is. So you that know, spillway ha- it, it, it's to help erosion. I must say that spillway on the beach as an emergency backup in case it, whatever happens, it doesn't erode the the and so you don't get subsidence. It doesn't work the That's water correct. underneath it or whatever. Yeah. Amazing. I I can imagine because I'm trying to grasp what this whole engineering thing is like. I mean, are you calculating, you know, how many, how many, how much pressure is across the dam wall? Are you calculating how many gallons? Are you calculating who they're going to sue if this thing goes south? You know, well, I don't know about getting into the legal aspects of it, but what, what we're calculating when we designed that dam and our guys designed that dam. When I first came to work for Cooper in 1984, I think we had 10 engineers in our corporate engineering office. And I was there from January of 84 to mid 1985. And that's when I moved to hot Springs village and took over that operation. And, and when I first started, I was in the design part of the engineering department that did water and sewer and landfill design and uh, sewage treatment plant design, those types of of things. And, uh, but we had another section that designed dams and and roads and bridges, all those bridges in Hot Springs Village, all the dams in Hot Springs Village were all designed by us and in-house. And uh, so those guys designed that dam, you know, we were talking before we started the, the camera about uh, um, Hot Springs Village being the largest gated community in, in I guess you're, you're saying in the world. I, I knew it was in the United States. I didn't know about the entire world, but um, that dam at one time was the largest privately owned reservoir in the, in the United States. It was the largest that had been built with private money, not government money. Um, and, and that dam is about 90 feet tall at the tallest point. Um, and, and that entire spillway structure, that dam and that spillway structure and all from one end to the other is almost a mile long. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, we're, we're not really getting into the legal aspects of it, but but the way that we design, the way that we design the length of those spillways is we're trying to minimize the elevation of the hundred year flood event. So if you get a, a flood that occurs once in a hundred years, 
uh, we're trying to design that spillway to be long enough that it will release enough water so that water doesn't back up very high and onto lots because we don't want a hundred year flood to to go up you know eight or ten feet onto people's lots when you know and in fact i believe this the elevation of the hundred year flood on balboa was about 2.7 feet above the normal elevation of the lake so it's not it's not a huge rise onto people's property take us back to 1985 so mid 1985 you come to the village and you're you're partly large and in charge Give me an idea of the scope and the scale and, and give me some sense of the village <laughs> mid 1985. So where we were at that point in time is we had basically developed to about where the, uh, Woodlands auditorium is now located that where that County road, Danville road goes, uh, through that, through the village. And that's where we were. And so my very first assignment was to go out and walk uh, the center line of streets that had been staked by our surveyors to build new lots. And the first year that I was there, we built 2,000 new lots. 2,000. 2,000. And our salespeople sold 2,000 new lots that, that next year. We were selling 2,000 lots a year in Hot Springs Village. We were Hang touring. On, so that, that's, that's right there at Balboa Road. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, Saldana, Sassadon, that Sassadon, kind of Sassadon, and, and, you know, here's the funny thing about pronouncing these, these subdivision <laughs> names in Hot Springs Village. There's a guy named David Whitlow that used to work for the POA. He was a public works guy. And David went and took a Spanish course at Garland County Community College so he would learn how to pronounce all of these Spanish names. And I made fun of him because I said, you're going to be the only person in the village that knows how to pronounce them. And we're all going to be making fun of you still, David. So why would you do this? And so I don't I don't know how to in my southern Arkansas pronunciation. I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these subdivision names, but it was Sacedon, Oliette, Andorra, mm -hmm. Fonsagrada, Saldana, Salvatierra. Uh, and then there were those subdivisions over there around holes. 14, 15, 16, 17 of Ponce de Leon golf course. Uh, Ilesias, Sapuentes. Um, yep. Talavon. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. No, All of I, those. If, if you want to hear it slaughtered, you can go down to the county courthouse and they'll offer a, a slaughtering sure. of every name every day because they I do the same just, thing. I think we already just heard them slaughtered. So yeah, <laughs> you did. You did. I, I'll volunteer that. I, I did. I did okay, too. So, you're, so, you, so you build 2,000. You, you established 2000 lots a year. Is that, is it, you stay at that pace? How long? Oh, about two or three years. Now they had been on that pace for many years before I got there. And we were touring 20,000 customers a year selling 10%. So we were selling 2000 lots a year. And, and when I got there in about 88 or 89, we had a pretty big recession. And that really slowed everything down for a year or two. Um, so we 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 took a year to uh, a year or two to uh, try to catch up. And and you know as you would sell those lots in those older areas from west to east, you would leave a few every year that didn't get sold. And of course, 
as soon as we would build new inventory, the salespeople would get excited about the new stuff <coughs> and they would, they would, you know, not be so interested in touring through the older stuff. So, so Mr. Cooper said, we're going to have a couple of cleanup years where we want to sell what we have in our inventory that, that has been left in, in other areas, like back toward Coronado golf course or Cortez golf course, et cetera. And, so we slowed things down for a year or two. We never did pick back up to that 2000 lot a year pace after that. So between 85 and say 90, I don't know, paint, paint for me a picture of, of the scope and the scale of, of the village. Like, I mean, how, how many, how, how many people are actually living inside the village at this point? I would guess there might've been five or 6,000 people living there. Um, you know, and, and there, I mean, the homes were scattered like they still are today in some respects, but there were certain areas, especially around the lakes and around the golf courses that pretty much every lot would be built on. Most of the lots would be built on, you know, and, and, but there were probably five or 6,000, uh, you know, and some other historian could probably say, no, there were this many in 1985 or, but it, it was somewhere in that range. And it, took a, the, it takes sorry. a team of how many people to, to lay out 2000 lots a year. What does that we had look in, like? in our planning, uh, department, we had about three, we Cooper actually owned one of the first computer aided design, uh, computers that was ever built McDonald Douglas built a CAD system and we were the seventh owner of one of those. It sat in a room that was probably 10 by 30 feet in, 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 you know, 10 feet by 30 feet wide. And it had to be air conditioned down to like 56 or 57 degrees all the time to keep that computer <laughs> system cool. And I think we paid almost a million dollars for that thing. And this, of course, this now, is without GPS. That's what's getting me. Right. You, you didn't have GPS. Yeah. You guys had, had, right. yeah. And, and now, uh, uh, you take an AutoCAD system, which everybody has on their, you know, laptop and, and an AutoCAD is probably a hundred times more powerful than that thing was, but that's what we were using to draw all these. So we had three CAD technicians who would sit down at, at a computer table all day and draw new subdivision plans and they would take the topography and and basically figure out where all the roads should go and then they would figure out where all the lakes should go and where all the golf courses would fit in all of this so that and as john paul mentioned on the previous uh podcast that you did with him uh, you know, the, the golf courses went in the, in the drainage areas in the low areas because we couldn't put lots there. You know, you can't build a house in the middle of a drainage way. So we, we had the lots sitting up on the hills on both sides of the golf holes and the golf holes and the lakes all went down in the valleys and for the most part. And, uh, so that's how that all happened. But those things were all master planned years in advance. Um, and, and, I think, as I had told you, uh, you know, um, when I started doing other communities, looking at other communities across the southeastern United States, we got to the point where we were advanced enough that the first time I ever showed up on a piece of property in Georgia or Florida or any of those states down in the southeast, I would know where the 12th green of the second golf course was going to go 
the first time I showed up there and I had a GPS in my hand that would tell me where it was at. So we were, we were pretty advanced early on. I started using GPS when the very first handheld GPS came out. And now I have a GPS I used uh, Monday actually in a community we're building outside of Kansas city to figure out where a new subdivision street was going to be built. And I was just walking with that GPS in my hand and the accuracy of that thing was probably five or six feet. Unbelievable. Let me come back just for a sec. Randy had asked a question. I want to hear the rest. You were talking about, you had three AutoCAD technicians sitting and doing that, which is astonishing. How many boots on the ground did it take to map out 2000 lots a year? I mean, that's astonishing to me. Probably about 12 surveyors. We had four crews of three surveyors each. And so they would be staking all this just through the woods. And then once they staked it all through, like basically DeSoto Boulevard from Woodlands Auditorium all the way to the East Gate, my surveyors staked the center line of that and I walked it and I decided where that street would go. So, um, uh, and so that's how we did it. Did y'all you know, buy bug would, repellent? Did you buy bug repellent by the skid pack or how did you do and that? And I also had some really good snake chaps after I stepped <laughs> on my first copperhead. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, you mentioned Salvatierra subdivision. I stepped on a copperhead there one time and there was, and my truck was parked probably two miles away. And I decided from that point on, I would wear snake chaps every time <laughs> I walked. And I did. I, I bought the kind of snake chaps you would wear in Texas. I, I, I had a pair of them and I wore them religiously. So, Andy, yeah, we, that, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask Randy. I, I know he had another one. No, I'm just, I'm, listen, just, I'm, I'm willing to just turn you loose. Ernie, and let you run. I'm <laughs> telling you, I've been wanting to, okay, let me ask a question. I'm, I'm sitting here in my mind going, you're the guy I've wanted to talk to for 20 years. So I got to ask a quick question. When you have your AutoCAD guys sitting around, I'm the guy that's reverse engineered all this. I've looked at all this and went, okay, according to the records I can find between the eighties and the nineties, Cooper would typically sell between four and $6,000 for an interior lot. that would let you make it on payments. It would be 13 to 14% interest that follow that at the County courthouse. And the setbacks would be variable on every lot, nearly every <laughs> lot in a subdivision. And I'd say, okay, you got a 10 foot setback, you got a 15 foot. And I'm a guy trying to reverse engineer this going, what do they do? What do they see? I don't see. So tell me, what did you, they see? I don't see. There are two answers to that question. The first one is that my boss, Jim Gore, who was probably one of the greatest engineering minds in the history of Arkansas. Just the guy was a genius. He started in 1954 with Mr. Cooper and laid out probably more single family lots in the United States than any other person in the history of this country. And that were built and actually sold. If you count Cherokee village, Bella Vista, hot Springs village on and on and on. And so Jim Gore uh, had a saying that he didn't ever want houses to look like army barracks lined up on a street. <laughs> so you couldn't so have the same setback. We never had the same setback lot to lot to lot. It was always 15 feet, then 20, then 15, then 25. And then when I came along, I started saying, okay, well, that's good. But what I need to do is I need to make sure that some of these lots that drop off pretty quick, once you leave the street that we have a place where you can actually build a house on them. 
So I might put a 15 foot setback on a lot because I knew that 50 or 60 feet back from the street, it dropped off very severely and people needed a place to build the house. And uh, so, so that's let's, how that all came. Okay. That, well, there's the answer to that question. Let's drag a myth out of the closet. Okay. I have fought this myth for 20 years. You know, that's just an unbuildable lot. I tell people there's no such thing as an unbuildable lot because Mr. Cooper was an attorney who probably didn't like to be sued that much. But the reason of the wild irregularities, you know, five acre lots down here north of, of uh, Lake Lago. Okay. They did that because there's only one home site to build on those five acres. Am I mistaken? Is there well, an unbuildable lot in the village? So the five acre lots, and I believe what was that, uh, I can't remember the name of that Berno, subdivision. Uh, Maceros, uh, Gomara, and Devaca. And Verita. Verita. Omido, yeah. And and those uh, five-acre lots, there were a couple of things. It was going to be difficult to get sewer to pump over those over the hill high enough. Even with, with grinder pump sewers, uh, it, it was going to cost a lot more money to provide the sewer, the, the central sewer. And so if we did five-acre lots, we would do... Uh, septic systems for the sewage disposal. And so that was one thing. And the other thing was, it was kind of a marketing um, experiment. Like, can we sell five acre lots? What can we sell them for? You know, let's try this product. It's just a different product is what is another thing. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was what went into that. Is there such a those, thing as an unbuildable lot in the village? Uh, have you ever been to Acapulco? <laughs> No, but I've seen pictures. <laughs> I've been to Acapulco and, and they literally hang houses off the side of cliffs there. <laughs> right. And it, once I went to Acapulco on a company sales trip, I learned anything is buildable. It just yeah. depends on how much money you want to spend. Well, and That's I make the correct. analogy, you know, where Ponferrada is. Ponferrada overlooks the church camp. Stunning views from Ponferrada, uh, Alicante, all those up there. And, you know, I've heard people say, well, this is, an, a, you know, there's, there's unbuildable lots. I've seen homes that you walk into the first floor and they have three basements beneath it. Mm -hmm. and that's an unbuildable lot. If you want to build it for a reasonable mm -hmm. fee or whatever, but it's yeah. got an unbelievable view out that way. I, I have a, a city um, public works director in a town that I won't mention right now that I'm doing development in that tries to tell me about lots that are unbuildable. <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I just shake my head and, and there's a house it's up there. I don't know the subdivision. I don't know if it's, it's, um, El Pilo or Andar or maybe Baeza, but it's on the Northeast side of Lake Cortez dam east of north of Cortez Dam, and there was a rock, a boulder on that lot at the end of a cul-de-sac that was, my recollection was it was 15 or 20 feet tall. It was just basically just a mountain almost, but it was yep. solid rock. And we actually sold that lot to somebody. And I remember going back there maybe eight or 10 years ago because I was looking at some timber that we were thinning or something and they had, someone had built a house around that rock. Andar, Andar. I know exactly yeah. where it's at. It overlooks the Cortez Lake yeah. and it is a stunning view. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Stunning yeah. No. view. And, and most people I'm sure looked at that and thought, well, that's a nice view, but you'll never build a house there. And somebody built a house there. <laughs> and so uh, nothing is unbuildable. It may Excuse not be me. worth your, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, it may not be cost, cost effective, but it, mm -hmm. it's buildable. So you Absolutely. get there in mid, you get there in mid 85. And at what point do you have your first man life? What have I got myself in at that moment? And what oh, was it? back in those days, man, I was, I, I, I was just, uh, I was having a good time. You know, I was on my own. I had been in an engineering department with a hundred people in it. If you counted draftsmen and surveyors and engineers and, and accounting people and everything else. And I was, I was turned loose and was, and I was a little bit independent anyway. Well, Linda said and, you had dynamite. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we need to trust you engineers with dynamite that she said they had dynamite. They were blowing stuff up. I'm like, what were they blowing up? And yeah, the first time I ever saw that happen was actually in Bella Vista about my first month to be working for the company after I graduated from the U of A and I pulled up on a job site to inspect a waterline construction. And one of the old construction hands that worked for Bill Orr told me, he said, park that truck over there and come get, and come get underneath this backhoe bucket. <laughs> and I had no idea what was going to happen. And what it was, was when they shot that dynamite off, um, boulders came out the size of bowling balls and were and rained down on everything. It was incredible. Would you rather have stepped on the copperhead again? Yeah, probably, <laughs> but I survived that also. So anyway, um, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I was just having a blast. And the other thing where my favorite thing that I always said to do working here was building golf courses. And so you guys won't know this unless somebody told you like me, but you know, when we were building all those lots around Cortez, around uh, Ponce de Leon golf course and lots of them, we, all we did was we cleared, we, we made a clearing through the trees of where the golf course was going to go. And we put it in the property report document that everybody had to see before they could buy the lot that we were going to build that golf course, but we wouldn't finish it until 1991. And we were selling the lots in there in 1985, 86, 87. And, but you just had to trust us. And of course there was plenty of evidence to trust us because there were four other golf courses there at the time. And so we started building that golf course after all those lots were sold. And, um, I hired a guy, Cooper, Cooper construction had always built the golf courses and I ended up. I love to play golf. I won the Arkansas state high school championship when I was a sophomore. And, and so I was a golfer. I played golf in college. And so I, that was my favorite thing. It was like, Oh my gosh, I can, and I can, you know, get to play golf and get to build golf courses. I can decide where the trees are and where the fairways go and where the, you know, there's, there's bunkers tucked here or there or whatever. And so, you know, we use Tom Clark, out of, out of Maryland to design the golf courses, but I certainly got to help him. And, and I say that kind of sadistically. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, we would, um, uh, we would go in and, 
and and clear all that and start building. Well, we we did a contract with a con- with a construction company, and and Tom wanted to bring this guy in who had been golf be- been building a golf course for him in South Korea. And this guy was making ten thousand dollars a month driving a dozer, but he was worth every penny. He had built golf courses for Nicholas and Palmer and all those guys, Fazio and. And, and so basically what we did is we just said, pretend like you're building the golf course for Nicholas and take off. And here's the design plan. Here's where, I mean, we staked the tees, the landing areas and the greens. We, we cleared the golf course and Tom basically would come in once a month and tell him where he wanted to put the bunkers around a particular green or in the fairway or whatever. And, but we let that guy kind of go with the grading of that golf course. And that was that, that golf course was built differently than any other. When that golf course was built, it was ranked the ninth best new golf course in the country by Golf Digest. Okay, now, ranked- now, you, now you got me again. Tell me about um, Archidona on the 14th hole, because I stepped up on one of the lots we own on Archidona, stepped up from the south side looking north onto the 14th hole, I believe it was, which is down in a valley and. It mm-hmm. looks like I thought I was at Augusta. I had mm-hmm. never seen it's green and lush from end to end. It's a velvet carpet from side to side. You're mm-hmm. telling me this guy from South Korea came in with a D eight or something. The trees are already pretty much gone and he's molded. He's sculpting the, the, the course. That's correct. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. He was the one who did it. We just stood back and let him work. And, uh, uh, do you know anything about the grand opening of that golf course? I know that it wasn't in 1993. I thought it was 1991 or something. Didn't y'all do it, it early? 1991. No, no, no. We, we, we built that golf course in 91. Okay. Or we built it in 90 and we opened it in 91. D- okay. And I don't know if you, if you guys knew what happened in 1990, I think it was, is, or 1991, John Daly won the PGA. From Arkansas. And John Daly was uh is rick ross still working there uh, not to my knowledge not to my knowledge. rick ross was the pga tour pro at Pon- he was going to be the new pro at ponce de leon golf course well rick was john's teaching pro going all the way back to when john was in college so john had just gotten his pga tour card he was a rookie out on the tour and Rick comes in and says I'm gonna get daily to come and do the grand opening at Ponce and so we were like okay cool we all knew him. I'd played golf against him in college or, or, or in, in, you know, in the amateur ranks on what we call the Arkansas amateur tour. And so I knew him and, and he's four or five years younger than me, but I'd been around him quite a bit. And, and so we all knew, you know, good, get him to come in. That'll be cool to have a PGA tour player do the grand opening at Ponce. And what we didn't all know is that he was going to win the PGA championship three weeks before we opened. <laughs> and so when he did, we had a meeting the next day on Monday, Rick had been to Rick went up there and was with him when he won and came back and we had a meeting the next day. And we all said, well, I guess this deals off because Daly was the most famous golfer on the planet at that point. Yeah. And Rick said, he's coming from and, Dardanelle, Arkansas. Yeah. Well, he lived in Memphis at the time. Oh, did he? And so uh, sure enough, we set up, we, we rented buses from Jesseville high school 
we paid the drivers of the buses. Everybody parked the cars over there at the over at Balboa Beach. And we bust in people in the pouring down rain to watch Daly do the grand opening at Ponce. Really? And um, and it and there were probably, I think they estimated 10,000 people. 10,000 people. It was crawling with people. Twice the population relatively yeah. at that time. Pouring down rain and crawling with people. Oh, and Lord. so then we, um, we didn't play, we played a few holes that day and then that was it. And the next day we came back out and we played, um, the entire 18, we actually started on 10 for some reason. I don't remember why, but we did. And people started showing up out there and following us around. And by the time we finished, there were six or eight of us in the group that were playing. And by the time we finished, there were probably three or four or 500 people following us on that golf round. Well, it was, it was crazy. John Paul has a comment. He says about this, and I, this is before I had even met John Paul. I remember hearing this. There's something like 10 miles of drainage pipes under punts. Am, am I in the, even in the mm-hmm. ballpark? Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. Because there, somebody, somebody had said there's something like 20 springs under punts. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, it's I mean just, you, you always, you always run into that. Yeah. You always have to deal with underground stuff. Yeah. Well, now that's Randy, not, that's not surprising for me, for me, I can imagine that I'm buying a lot and I look out and, and there's guys in dozers and there's one guy that gets 10,000 a month just to drive a particular dozer. And Mr. Clark comes out and they're working on the lot and everything. And, and I can, I can believe they're going to make a golf course. But to buy something on Lake Balboa and spend $60,000 for a big dirt pit that may not turn into a lake or not, I mean, those people had to have faith. And I've, I've, I've been to estate sales where people had pictures of their lot before and their lot after they built the house and they owned their lot before mm-hmm. the lake existed. And those people had faith. Now it all worked out for them, but man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the only thing that they had to go on, though, was that we had all these other lakes and golf courses that already existed at that point in time. So they were successful. So and yeah, they could see what we had done. And uh, so, yeah, but you're right. There were, uh, you know, there are a million stories, guys, that I can tell you. And what you just every time we talk about something like this makes me think of something else. The, I remember when I got a letter a guy walked in my office named Keith Inquist and Keith ended up being one of the POA board members at one point in time in the, in the late eighties, just a great guy. One of my best friends turned out to be just one of the best friends I ever had. He was loved to trout fish and, and I spent a lot of time with him, but he walked into my office with this letter and put it on my desk. And the letter was from bell telephone. And it said, there are three people who have requested to build homes in the Balboa and on the Western side of Lake Balboa and hot Springs village. And if all three of you will uh, sign up to, for bell telephone service, we will do it at the bargain price. Of, I think it was about $35,000 a piece. And so we, we contacted John Cooper jr who was obviously the president CEO of the company at that point. And John was able to, John was on Entergy's board of directors. And so he knew the utility business. And, um, and so John made a few contacts 
and worked out a deal between Bell Telephone and the Public Service Commission. And up until, I don't know if it still goes on to this day, but for many, many years after that, you would pay the POA when you built a home, I think it was like $305 or $315 as a Bell Telephone fee. And then then that would get you service. And so what John did is he made the deal with, with Bell to say, hey, look, there's going to be a whole lot of houses out here, not just three. So instead of you guys charging 30 something thousand dollars to each one of these three entity, these three individuals to build, to put service to their home, let's just spread it out. And so that's the way they did it. I, I can only in my mind, I just can't fathom because I, I do, I, I love the woods and I loved coming up highway seven. And I've been here long enough to remember when there wasn't a Walmart and when there wasn't businesses up and down and, and it wasn't as, as developed, but in my mind, I can imagine, you know, I mean, to be frank, Bell's going, Hey, you know, we don't know that we're going to mm-hmm. dig, you know, T ones out here or DS ones and drop these bad boys out here. And there's going to be more than 10 people eventually ever. You know, they don't know that I got a couple, I got a couple more questions. We're going to have to wrap it up for the hour. Ernie, please come back. Would you please? Absolutely, man. We would love to have you again and again and again. I got a couple of questions. People have always asked me, why do we not have natural gas in the village? And I had heard somebody say, oh, it goes down past the end of seven. Cooper just didn't want to bring it in (laughs) as an engineer. I know I hear you laugh. Oh, I know. uh Yeah. Okay. So. When we started Hot Springs Village, as I mentioned, when I was a small child, um, Arkla Gas was the gas company in Arkansas at that point in time. And, and well, they still are, but I think they call it, what, Centerpoint or something. Point, it's, yeah. it's been taken over eight or ten times and changed names. Well, mm-hmm. um, Arkla was given the opportunity to be in Hot Springs Village, and Mr. Cooper told me they declined. In about 1986 or 1987, a guy from Arkla Gas walked into my office at the front at front gate at our office in, on Highway 7 and said, I'm, I'm here from Arkla Gas and we want to serve Hot Springs Village. And so I said, that's great. So I contacted Mr. Cooper and said, hey, what do you think about this? He said, they turned it down once before, but let's we'll, we'll give them a yeah, sure if they want to. We'll give them the easements and let them do it. And I heard back from them in about six or eight months and they said, we decline again. So that's the answer is it was, didn't have any Cooper always wanted it. We have gas in pretty much every community we've built. Um, Kansas city, West Virginia, Tennessee. Uh, now Bella Vista, I think still has LP gas, just like hot Springs village does just because we could never get a company to serve it. But that's the answer to that question is that Arkla had two opportunities and they turned them down both times. Well, let me ask the other one and then we'll have to wrap up here for just a sec. Did you, were you, when you got here, did Lake Lago exist? And, and if not, give me the story about Lake Lago. And I mean, it's, it's an engineering masterpiece to me. It's impressive. Yeah. Lake Lago existed. Yes. It was built. I'm guessing, I think it was built in the early seventies and that was because it was the original water. It was always, again, Jim Gore was a genius. Everything he did, you know, what we did on that piece of property is we created a city out of Warehouser Timberland in the middle in, of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. So we had to create our own water system, our own sewer system, and everything. And that water, Lake Lago was always designed to be um, 
You're okay. We can hear you. Yeah, I'm we, sorry. We got I, was, I, was getting a, I was getting a phone call. Okay. <laughs> Lake, Lake Lago was always designed to be the water supply lake for Hot Springs Village. And it's designed to handle, I believe, something like 60,000 customers is what they, and, and, the, and the recharge for it is the middle fork of the Saline River, which will never run out of water. And protected so, waterway. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it was always the water supply lake, but it was built, I believe in the early seventies. Well, I've, I've taken a tour. Jason Temple has given me a tour for one of my other shows and it's a masterpiece. I was mm-hmm. thoroughly impressed. The low water dam, the pickup station, the location, it's pristine. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the pumping site, the, uh, the, 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 the treatment plant at the, at the facilities. Amazing. Was there ever a time when the, when the village was on pump or, or, or well water? That you know of, I guess. There had to be in in the early 1970s before all of that was built. It there there had to have been some some wells. Uh, we did the same thing in Bella Vista for a short period for a period of time until they had a large. You know, basically everybody in Northwest Arkansas is is getting water out of Beaver Lake now, yeah. and so you know there had to have been at one time some wells there supplying small areas, but I'm. I believe that they got Lake Lago up and running very quickly. Yeah. Were, were you involved in any of the sewage stuff at the, at the Creek plant or what the, the, uh, uh, behind Cortez? What, what, about, well, what about it as far as was it built? It? I mean, was it built at that time or they, they came on board with that very quickly too, because they had to, it was, that was the original sewage treatment plant for hot springs village. And, um, and, and yes, that was all, you know, the only gravity sewer in all of Hot Springs Village is running along Lake Cortez and Lake DeSoto. And those were the early days of, of and all that sewage flows downstream toward uh, just below Lake Cortez Dam. And so, yeah, that treatment plant would have been built very first thing. And I can't quit, quit asking questions. The pressurized sewer system that's on the middle and the east side, mm-hmm. I had heard that was state of the art at the time. Was that, did you, tell me the story real quick. We started in 1976, we being they, David Thrasher and some guys that I worked for when I first came to work at Cooper, had designed that system and it was it was state of the art. Nobody did that in the mid-1970s. Cooper Communities was one of the first developers to ever do pressure sewer anywhere. I mean, a lot of people had done gravity, everybody had done gravity sewer and pump stations periodically, but nobody had put a, a pump on every single lot in any scale at all until Cooper came along and hot Springs village to this day is probably as, as much, uh, there are probably more grinder pump type central pumps like that than there are anywhere in the country. Randy, I've hogged yeah. this entire episode. I do apologize. Tell me you got questions. I know you No, do. we're no, listen, let, let's, let's continue this. Uh, can't thank you enough for, for being on here. Give us a thumbnail version of you personally. So we know you, we know where you went to school and you played golf, but where, where did you grow up and give us a recap of that real quickly. And then we'll, well say goodbye. My, my dad worked for Arkansas power and light, which became Entergy and he bounced all over the state of Arkansas in that career. And so I bounced all over the state of Arkansas with him, um, ended up going to high school in Russellville. 
went to West Ark, which is now University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, and played golf for two years there, and then came to the University of Arkansas and got my engineering degree, and then went to work for Cooper, uh, the, my first day out the door of the University of Arkansas, and I've been here for 38 years. Sounds like it's been a good ride, my friend. It's, uh, it's been interesting. It's never <laughs> been, it, it's, it's never boring. To, today wasn't boring at all. If you had any idea. So. Well, I tell you what, when we come back in, in our next episode, I'm going to ask you about the jet. You got to drop around the fly around the country and to look at other properties. Okay. Yeah, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was big time stuff right there. That, that's our teaser. That's our teaser yeah. for Dennis Simpson and Randy Contrell. It's hot Springs village inside out. Join us again next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of hot Springs village inside out a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.